If you would, please find the book of John, chapter 10. And while you're looking for John 10, I'm going to read to you again from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. This is where we began a couple of weeks ago. And I will tell you, and I'll be real honest with you, I mentioned it to you before as well. This was not on my radar, so to speak. What we began talking about a couple of weeks ago, it's the beginning of the year. I thought this is a good time to talk about vision. It's a good time to stir up some of those things, and, and it is. But man, the Lord dealt with me in a strong way about what you and I were supposed to be spending our time on in the Word together at the start of this year. And I didn't fully understand it then. I don't know that I fully understand it now, but it, it is getting more and more clear to me that we are doing the right thing, that we're looking at the right things together. And I, I, I need to commit to you something and, and inform you of, about something, about me, about Sarah. We don't preach, we don't teach what we want. We don't sit around and come up with good ideas, and we don't let the calendar dictate to us what needs to be said from the pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or any time we get together. Amen. If you're letting the pulpit lead you, then the Spirit, or excuse me, if you're letting the calendar lead you, the Spirit of God is not. If you're letting anything else lead you, the Holy Spirit is not. So we seek the Lord over these things. We pray about these things. And the greatest most significant part of my assignment as pastor over this church is to find out from heaven what he once said. The greatest thing I or anybody who ever stands behind this pulpit could ever do from you is hear from heaven. And you can't ever get over into the way of thinking that, that, that a, minister, a minister should be doing this for you or that for you and it would mean more to you if they would do this or come visit or, or talk to me more. Hold on now. I'm not saying those things shouldn't be done or that they're not important, but they are not more important than she and I hearing from heaven Amen. and finding out what God once said to this place. Amen. And so that's what we're doing. Now, the thing I want to commit to you is that neither one of us nor anybody else who ever stands here will ever use this pulpit to manipulate or to coerce. We'll never use this as an opportunity, knowing something about somebody in the congregation, knowing what they're dealing with, knowing what they're going through, or, oh man, this person's in this sin, I better preach on that. Uh-uh. No, no, no. No, as a matter of fact, many times we'd rather not know. That way when it comes out and you come and say, who told you? We say, what are you talking about? <laughs> but we will never use this God-given platform as an opportunity to manipulate, manipulate you or anybody else for any reason whatsoever. But I commit to you to hear from Him. And I believe that's what's happening. In the book of Galatians, we read chapter 5. Verse 1, we'll put this on the screen. You're, you're holding your place in John 10. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's writing to this church and he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, everybody say liberty, by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again 
with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast, he said, in what? The liberty by which Christ has made us what? Free. Stand in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. We began talking a couple of weeks ago about our freedoms in Jesus. But if you and I are going to ever live in our freedom, we're going to have to know what we've been freed from. Many, many, many people are living locked up in prison on the inside. And sadly, many believers, many born-again people are living confined and their, their mobility's limited. They're living in prison on the inside because they have no idea what Christ has set them free from. If you want to live in your freedom, you got to find out what you've been freed from. I told you about that time Sarah and I were driving down the interstate between Texas and Oklahoma and I saw that big sign on the side of the road. You remember this? Hitchhikers may be escaping inmates, right? (laughs) I told you about that. Well, a quarter mile down the road, there was a big prison on the other side of the road. And I found out later this prison housed over 2,000 inmates. And it looked exactly what what you think a prison looks like. High walls, high fences, razor wire around the whole thing. Well, what are those walls for? What are those fences for? What are those bars about? Huh? One thing, limiting freedom. You cannot go, if you are on this side of the wall, you cannot go any further than this. That's what those walls are about. That sign said, hitchhikers may be escaping inmates. And I laughed about that, but man, the Lord used that, began talking to me about it for the next several days after that. And I started to see in his word and think about it as we ministered to people. There are so many people, not 2,000, not 200,000, but millions of people all over the world living locked up in a prison. Locked up in the prison of fear. Locked up in the prison of sin. Locked up in the prison of condemnation. We dealt with that. But people are living locked up. Wishing for freedom. Wanting freedom. And meanwhile, Jesus is going, hey, you're free. He said, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim freedom. What's proclaim mean? Preach it. Come on, Jesus, preach it. If Jesus was supposed to preach freedom, what are you and I supposed to be preaching? It's not just me who's supposed to be preaching freedom. You are a freedom preacher. And one of the things I've begun to see over the last couple of weeks, just being before the Lord on this, is realizing that it's only free people that can free people. It's only free people that have the message of freedom that will free other people. And Jesus' message was freedom. That was the first thing we lost when Adam and Eve sinned and did what they did. See, they'd been given authority, and with that authority came freedom. Didn't God say to them, of any tree in the garden you may freely eat? But then he told them about the one that he said, don't eat from this one. I know you've been frustrated like I have. God, why'd you even put that tree there? If it was going to do so much bad and so much wrong, why even plant the tree? 
Because if you don't have a choice, are you really free? Hmm? If you don't have a choice, you have to ask yourself, are you truly free? There had to be a choice. And when they chose in opposition to what he had told them to do, they gave away their authority. Sin entered and death by sin. And when they gave away that authority, they gave away the freedom. But God, in that moment, he went to work right then, right in that moment, on the plan of redemption. You know what redemption means? To redeem means to buy back. It means to purchase. So he went to work right then, right then, right there, with the plan to purchase your freedom. That's why we're talking so much about this. Look at it again, Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Now notice this instruction. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I'm going to read this to you from several other translations. Listen to what the NIV says. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Amplified Classic Bible says, in this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered and held and snared and submit again to a yoke of slavery which you have once put off. Listen to the New Living Translation. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. This is interesting to me. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I like this from the Passion Translation. Let me be clear. I like that. Let me be clear. The Anointed One has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back. Now listen to this. He's talking about not just that we are free and not even that just that Jesus did it, but think about the way he did it. It wasn't quiet. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't sneaky. The scripture says that Jesus purchased our freedom with his own blood. The book of Ephesians tells us that he conquered every principality and all dominion and all authority. And I love this. And made a show of them openly. That's why I said this was not quiet. This was not subtle. God was loud about buying your freedom. He was bold about it. And it was glorious, man. I mean, the the punishment that he took and the beating that he took and the death and the burial, but then that resurrection when the glory of God hit that body of Jesus in the belly of the earth and God said enough is enough and the glory of God hit that body and he came up out of that grave a resurrected born again man and in that moment freedom was purchased 
for all men for all time. Now, not everybody's living in it because you have to respond to it. You have to do what Paul's saying here, stand in it. But it wasn't subtle. It wasn't quiet. He made a show of them openly. But you, you listen to these verses and in every translation, it ends with him saying, we must always cherish this truth. And notice this, stubbornly refuse to go back. To go back into the bondage, he said, of our past. And every translation says it in a different way, but that's essentially what it's saying. Don't go back. Don't go back. Now, if you think about what Jesus did and how Jesus did it and how gloriously our freedom has been purchased and how those walls that we talked about have been torn down, broken down, and how prison doors have been flung open and Jesus is standing at the door of the prison going, you're free, you're free, you're free. Why would Paul have to write and say, don't go back? Don't go back. Why would he have to say that? You would think that that's the last thing you'd want to do, right? Is go back to prison? But Paul's having to write to them. And evidently, if he's having to say it, this is, this is divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. It's because you and I need to hear this too. Don't go back. Don't go back into what you've been freed from. I, I know people don't understand it and we question. But do you realize that somewhere between 40 and 50% of people who will be released from prison will go back. And it's almost half of those that'll go back in the first 12 to 36 months. Now go back to what we're talking about. These walls, these fences, these bars, these things that have held people in. And they're set free. And they're let go. And they go back. Now you and I can sit up in here and judge them all day long. But we've been doing the same thing. We have been set free. Jesus has freed us completely, not partially, but totally free. And yet, how many of you, don't raise a hand, but would be honest and say, man, I've been back. I know there's stuff he's freed me from, and I've gone right back to it. Ways of thinking, ways of speaking, ways of believing, ways of acting, habits, sin, call it what it is. Has he set you free from all that stuff? Absolutely. Have you gone back in? Yeah, you have. So have I. And as the Lord leads us, we're going to really hammer home all these things that he's freed us from. But what I realized is what good does it do to stand here and preach, preach freedom from fear if you just can go right back into it. Huh? What good does it do to say, free from sin, I proclaim your freedom from sin. Amen. I'm going back. Can you see now why Paul's writing going, don't go back. Don't go back. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is anointed to preach freedom to us. And like I said before, looking at a room full of escaping inmates. 
We are free people. This is the way God created us to live. If you were to put one word, try to use one word to describe the condition in which God created us to live, it'd be the word free. Created us to be free with liberty. Did you find John chapter 10? Good. That was like 15 minutes ago. John chapter 10. We're going to look at some things Jesus said tonight. And I'd love it if you'd believe God with me in this. We've got a lot we want to cover. If we can't get it done tonight, they just keep making Sundays. We'll get together again. But in John chapter 10, begin in verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the sheep, or by the, who, excuse me, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, listen to this, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And then what does he do? He leads them, say it with me, out. He calls his own sheep by name. And then what does he do? He leads them out. Now, just a few verses later, verse 11, Jesus is going to reveal this. I am, he said, the good shepherd. I like that. I am the, what kind of shepherd? Good. Jesus isn't just a shepherd. He's good at it. He is a good shepherd. So Jesus is the good shepherd who calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Several years ago, I began making that a confession over my life, saying it day after day after day. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name and he leads me out. Why don't you say that? Say this. Jesus is my good shepherd. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name. And he leads me out. I like that detail. He calls me by my name. You know, some people are good with faces. But not so much with names. But God and Jesus has, has never one time looked at me and said, Oh, hold on. Don't tell me. Wait a second. No, 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 no. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Swami, swimmy. No. no, he knows my name. Jesus knows your name. What does that reveal to us? That there is a level of intimacy available to you and him that you may not be walking in yet, but it's there. And he wants it on a first name basis. But then he adds this. This is our confession. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name. And then what? He leads me out. Out of what? Out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of. Jesus will be the good shepherd who leads you out. You ever been in trouble? Yeah? When you're in trouble, what is it you know? I want out. I want out of what I'm in, right? There was a handful of times as a kid that I knew it. I knew two things about what was going on right then. I'm in trouble and I want out. I remember the first night I came home late 
also happened to be the first night I was given a curfew. And mom said, be home by midnight. And I was out with some friends, and we come rolling through the neighborhood about 12, and I look at my watch, and it's about 12.15. I'm thinking, well, that's midnight-ish, right? And man, I walk through the door, and all the lights are on. Have I told you this story? Did I tell you this? No? Well, if I have, pretend I haven't. All the lights are on in my house. I'm thinking, my parents are old. Why are they still up? And I hear my mom's voice in the kitchen. She's on the phone. She's like, hey, this is Terry. Sorry to wake you. Have you heard from the kids? Oh, wait, I heard him come in. Never mind. He's here. Okay. All right. Love you. Bless you. Bye. All sweet, right? I don't know where that lady went because whoever that was died. And by the time she got from the kitchen to the living room where I was, she had grown six feet and was levitating and the room began to fill with smoke and lightning and hail and thunder and there was fire in her eyes and she had six horns growing out of her head. She looked at me and said, where have you been? For we are many. I knew one thing right then, man. I am in trouble. What else? I want out. Bad. I want out. And I wish I could tell you that was the most trouble I ever got in. But you know, as life goes on, that feels like a lot of trouble. But then you start dealing with actual problems. You grow up and you, you, you deal with relationship problems. And you deal with money problems and work problems and family problems and school issues. And you are in something that you know. Maybe you don't even know how you got in it, but you know this. You want out. Good news tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is your good shepherd. He knows you by name. He knows exactly what you're in the middle of. And he will call you by your name. And he will say it with me. Lead you out. Out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of. And if you think about it, that's what he started doing. Like the moment you made him Lord. Like right in that second. You came to him and you said, I'm done being my own God. You said, I'm done being my own Lord. Look at this mess. Me being God made this mess. Jesus, I'm done with this. You be my Lord. I believe in my heart that, that you are Lord, that you died for me, that you rose again for me. I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. And the scripture says I'm saved. And right in that instant, you know what he began doing? He began leading you out right then leading you out of sin, leading you out of darkness, leading you out of sickness, leading you out of death. Glory to God. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's never led you or me or anybody out of one thing without leading you in to something else, something better. So he didn't just lead you out of sin into nothingness, the ether. He led you out of sin and into righteousness. You didn't get in there by yourself. You needed a good shepherd to lead you into it. He led you out of darkness and into light. The Bible says we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the light. 
He led you out of sickness and into health. He led you out of poverty and lack and into abundance. He led you out of death and into life. He's never led you out without leading you in. I will show you this tonight in Scripture. Go to the book of Exodus with me. I'm going to take some time tonight and prove to you from the Scriptures how serious God is about your freedom and getting you out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of. And I realize that's different for a lot of people. But the truth is, whatever is bondage, whatever is prison to you, whatever's been holding you back, holding you down, holding you out, God is serious about breaking you up out of that place. You know what God is saying tonight? Thus saith the Lord, I'm busting you out of this place. (laughs) That's what's happening tonight. In the book of Exodus, chapter 1, I'm going to read several verses to you here. So if you want to try to keep up with me, if you can, if you want to just listen, you can. But we're going to look through the first several chapters of this book. In chapter 1, verse 8, you're probably familiar with this story. But it says in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Now that's a detail in this story that I think we've often read over. Pharaoh is about to devise a plan to oppress God's people. But I want you to notice where it's coming from. It's coming out of fear. He's afraid of these people. He said, look at these people. The children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Who's we? Egypt. The most civilized, the most advanced, the most prosperous nation in the world at that time. And the leader, the king, is afraid of God's people. He said, they're more and they're mightier. Verse 10, so come let us deal shrewdly with them. In other words, we need to make a plan. Least they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. Now, all of this was Pharaoh's plan To stop these people from prospering. You're going to see it again here in a moment. But God's people were prospering in a place that they weren't supposed to be prospering in. This foreign people in this land, you are not supposed to be growing mightier and stronger than the people who live here. And yet they are. God's people were prospering in a place that you weren't supposed to prosper. Man, I hope you're hearing me tonight. That can still be the case tonight, you know. You know, you can prosper in a little old mountain town. Do you know you can have a thriving church in a small town up in the mountains? Do you know you can have a place where hundreds, if not thousands of people are coming to be fed the word of God and get their lives changed in the prayer? You can have that in a small little place. You can prosper in a place you're not supposed to prosper. That's what's on God's people. 
So they came up with this plan, and the plan was to set taskmasters over them. That's an interesting word. If you look it up, it has to do with a tax. This was a, a financial plan. We're going to tax these people, and the tax was in the form of forced labor. That was the tax for being in their land. We're going to force you to work. And this will do it, right? This will stop them. This will put them down. But verse 12 says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Now that's another word entirely. The plan, the first part of the plan that didn't work was we're going to make them labor. They're going to build these cities. But when that didn't work and they just kept growing and kept growing and kept thriving and kept prospering, they had to come up with this other plan. And this other plan was to make them serve with rigor. Now this word rigor, when you look it up, means uh, cruelty. It means harshness. It means bitterness. But it comes from a root word that literally means to break apart. Phase two of Pharaoh's plan was, let's break these people. Let's break them down physically. Let's break them down. Make them work so hard, this will stop them. He's trying to break them on the outside. It says they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manners, manner of service in the field. All their service, which they made them serve with, was with rigor. Now, I won't read everything here, but he comes up with this next, the next part of this plan. And he, Pharaoh calls all the Hebrew midwives. And he says, here's what I'm commanding you to do. Every baby boy that's born to the Hebrew people, kill it. The, girl, the girls you may keep alive, but the baby boys, kill them. Now there's one side of this that says, okay, this is population control. But that's not what it's about at all. He's trying to break the soul of these people. The hard work was about breaking them physically. This thing, killing the children, killing the babies, is about breaking, listen to me, it's about breaking, it's about crushing the soul and the spirit of a nation. I mean, how barbaric, right? How, how ancient and how crude and like I said, barbaric that a government would sanction the killing of babies. Are you hearing me tonight? What's that about? What's this, this thing in our country about? It's about the breaking of the soul and the spirit of the people. This is what Satan's after. To crush the spirit of a nation. Same thing happening today that was happening then. The only difference up until recently was we did it while they were in the womb. This was when they were outside of the womb. Now, there's no difference. Same assignment on it. Break the people. Break the spirit. Crush the soul. Can you imagine the horror that went through the people, the children of Israel? But those midwives... They wouldn't do it. And when they didn't do it, Pharaoh called them back and they said, look, the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They give birth like real fast. 
(laughs) So what happened was in verse 22 of chapter 1, Pharaoh commanded all his people. Listen to this. Pharaoh gave the okay to every Egyptian. Every son who was born to the Hebrew people cast it into the river. And every daughter you'll keep alive. Just gave every person the right to do that. What's he trying to do? What's Satan trying to do? Break these people. Now chapter 2, we won't read all of it, but you know what happens. There was a Hebrew woman that gave birth and her son was beautiful and she wasn't about to let anybody take his life. So she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him anymore, what did she do? She made a basket. She put the baby boy in the basket and put him in the river and then set her daughter to watch over as that basket floated down the river. And sure enough, here comes Pharaoh's daughter down to the river to bathe and this basket comes floating up. This is Pharaoh's own daughter, the one who gave the order, the one who gave the command. But the scripture said she, she saw the child and was moved with compassion. Where'd that come from? Hmm? She was moved with a compassion and, and this little girl said, uh, uh, would you like me to, to take the child to one of the Hebrew women to nurse? And she said, uh, yeah, do that. He's in the river, the very river that her dad just said, throw the baby in. God's at work here. God's at work right here. She took the baby back to his own mother. She nursed him. And when the child grew, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And in chapter 2, it says in verse 10 that the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. And she, she, Pharaoh's daughter, called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Many of your Bibles will have a cross-reference. You know what the name Moses literally means? Drawn out. You and I are about to see a crystal clear picture of Jesus. The child's name is drawn out. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name and he does what? Leads me out. Now, now Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. If you read the New Testament account of this from the book of Acts, he's about 40 years old and he was walking around and he saw some Egyptians beating a Hebrew. And he went and he murdered the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Then he got scared for his life and he ran. And for the next 40 years of his life, you know what he did? He was a shepherd for 40 years. Now, folks, if you do something for 40 years, I don't care what it is. Hopefully, at the end of that time, you are good at it, right? I've been playing guitar for 40 years. Well, I hope by now you are a good guitar player. I've been painting for 40. Well, hopefully you're good at it. What kind of shepherd do you think Moses was after 40 years of shepherding sheep? He was a good shepherd. A what kind? Good. A good shepherd. Are we seeing a picture of Jesus yet? So this good shepherd is out shepherding his sheep one day, and he looks over and this bush is on fire, but it's not burning. He goes and he begins talking to the bush, and the bush is talking to him. He finds out, oh, this is God speaking, and he, And this is what God said to him in verse 7 of chapter 3. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Look at verse, or yeah, excuse me, look at verse eight. So I have come down to deliver them. Listen to this. I've come down to deliver them. Does anybody else see that? I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 10, come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You are going to see this over and over and over. But God's got one thing on his mind. In chapter 2, you see where their cry, the cry of his people came up before him. He remembered their covenant. And from that moment forward, he had one thing on his mind. I want my people out. But not just to bring them out, but to bring them out so that he might Take them in. Take them into this good land. Go to verse 16. This is God speaking to Moses and said, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. I have said I will bring you up. Thank you. Out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. In chapter 4 down around verse 29, Moses had gone to Egypt. says he gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke, listen to this, all the words. Everybody say words. Which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs. Everybody say signs. In the sight of the people. So there were words and there were signs. And the signs were there to confirm the words. That's what signs do. They confirm the word. And it says in verse 31, So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the right response. When the word of the Lord comes to you like it is tonight, telling you he's bringing you out, he's busting you out of this place, you are going to be free. God has seen what you're dealing with. He knows what you're going through and he wants more than anything you out of this place. There's one right response. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I worship you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hearing my cry. Thank you for remembering the covenant. Thank you. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. There's only one right response. It's worship. The problem is, Moses then went from there to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. God wants his people out of here. And Pharaoh said, okay, sure, you bet. No? What did Pharaoh say? Who's God? I'm God. He says, 
you're not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, I don't think Pharaoh realized he was saying this, but in verse 5 he said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Uh-oh. Jesus alert. <laughs> he didn't realize it, but this is further painting this picture of Jesus and our freedom that we have in Him. But Pharaoh said, you make them rest from their labor. So not only did he not let them go, he cranked up the work. And he took away supplies and he made it harder. So what ended up happening, down around verse 19, it says the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were what? Oh, come on. Is there like, there's more people in the room than this. Help me out. Help a brother out here. The people, the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. And when you are in trouble, what do you know? You want to... They saw they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. And they came out from Pharaoh and they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. Where did all the worship go? Look at the Lord, look at you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in his hand to kill us. These guys were worshiping and praising God just a day or two ago because why? God's bringing you out. But when it didn't happen like on Monday, they got discouraged about it. And all that worship was gone. And all that praise was gone. Why? Because what they saw didn't change. What they could see, what they could feel didn't change. And as far as they were concerned, it got worse. So all this is new to Moses too. So Moses in verse 22 returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you've sent me? Evidently, this was not what Moses was expecting either. He thought for sure. You go into Pharaoh, you say, let my people go. Pharaoh says, good idea. Here you go. Out you go. But it didn't happen that way. And when it didn't happen the way he thought it would happen, when it didn't happen the way they thought it would happen, they got discouraged. Moses turns around, starts questioning God, and God in chapter 6 says, mm, you know what, this is a problem. Hmm. i tell you what, verse 6, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. This is what you say. Because Moses said, what do you want me to go tell these people? He said, you tell them, I am the Lord, I will bring you out. What do you notice? Nothing changed. With God, nothing changed. Just because these people didn't see it yet, just because they didn't feel it yet, nothing about the Word had changed. God's plan wasn't any different. He said one thing, the one thing that was on His mind, I will bring you out. I'll bring you out. And when you go back to him, rut row, when you go back to him and start crying because nothing's changed and every, everything feels like it's gotten worse, you know what you're going to hear? I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will bring you out. Did I not tell you I'm busting you out of this place? You know what you need to do? Go back to your worship. Go back to your praise. Yes. It opens prison doors. He said in verse 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your 
your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He's not changed anything. And you know, in chapter 7, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, this is when God goes to work getting people out. You remember how we talked earlier about what Jesus did for us was not quiet. It was not subtle. Neither was this. God goes to work in these plagues. And you know what one plague after the other is saying? I'm getting you out. I'm bringing you out. All the flies, all the locusts, all the frogs. What's God saying? I'm getting you out of this place. I'm busting you out of this place tonight. We are leaving tonight. Every plague that goes by, what's he saying? I'm bringing you out. I'm bringing you out. I'm bringing you out. Everything he's doing for these people. And not in quiet ways. One right after the other until he gets to that last one. And that angel of death starts taking the lives of, of Egyptian babies. What they don't realize is that this is harvest on a seed sown. And you think, well, how cruel is that? It's not cruel. It's justice. For lack of a better word, they started it. (laughs) And it finally got to the place where Pharaoh said, go, get out of here. And all the Egyptian people urged and begged the children of Israel, go. And they started just laying gold and silver on them, paying them to literally leave, 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 right? But it didn't stop there. They're leaving. God's getting them out. And he's leading them by this supernatural, miraculous cloud during the day and this fire by night, right? And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh goes, I changed my mind. Go get them. Bring them back. And he starts chasing them down. And the children of Israel show up at the edge of the Red Sea. And they got the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And all of a sudden, These people who have just miraculously been brought out and delivered and prison walls were broken down and bars were thrown open. Now, all of a sudden, they start screaming. They start crying. Why'd you bring us out here? It would have been better to die back there. You say some stupid stuff when you're afraid. We should have stayed. We should have stayed. And Moses essentially said, shut your mouth. Hold your peace. Stand still. Your God will fight for you. And all of a sudden, they they thought the only two options were drowning or die fighting these guys. Nobody knew option C. Open the Red Sea. Walk across on dry land. God is not being subtle about bringing his people out. And it was one thing like this after another, after another, after another. We're hungry. God says, okay, I'll rain manna. I'll give you quail. We're thirsty. Hit the rock. Water comes out of the rock. What's God doing? He's getting his people out of this place so that he can get them into that place. And then you get to the book of Numbers. Oh, help me, Jesus. Numbers chapter 14.
And God had told Moses, send spies into the land that I'm taking you in. Into the land, the very land that I brought you out of Egypt that I could take you into this one. Send spies, go check it out. And he sent spies and they came back. And what was it? 10 out of 12 or 8 out of 10? What was it? 10 out of 12 came back with this evil report. You know what the report was all about? What they could see. It was all about how tall the people were and how big the walls were. It's like, are you people amnesiacs? What's wrong with you? Do you not just remember like days ago, the way he brought you out? And now all of a sudden you can't go in. Why? Because the people are like, Tall. <laughs> really, really. No, 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 listen. Super duper tall even. And they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight and in ours. And Caleb and Joshua looked at each other. They're looking at the other guys. They're like, what's the matter with you? Let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go take it. God's with us. But the people cried. They screamed. And in chapter 14, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation. They said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Listen, listen, are you ready? Listen to this. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? Trying to go back to prison. They're, they're getting a plan together. The next verse, they said to one another, let's elect a leader and return to Egypt. Let's go back to prison. Let's go back into slavery. Let's go back into bondage. Let's go back into a place where they're trying to break us, spirit, soul, and body. Let's go back. Can you see what Paul would have to write to us? And say, whatever you do, don't go back. Don't go back. Why would he have to say that? A number of reasons, but... The flesh doesn't know what to do with freedom. The flesh doesn't know how to handle freedom. It's like a prisoner who gets released and they don't know what to do with themselves and they end up right back in that same place enslaved again because they don't know how to handle freedom. And that's what's happening right here to these people. Meanwhile, the only two free of them in the bunch are going, let's go, let's go, let's go. That's Caleb, that's Joshua. You notice how much freedom and confidence go hand in hand? Freedom and boldness. They said the Lord's with us. But what are these people trying to do? Trying to go back. Let me show you one last scripture as we begin to close. Go with me to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. Y'all are quiet. Everybody okay? Yes. All right. Hebrews chapter 10. Start in verse 32. 
You guys notice I give you a lot of word, a lot of scriptures. You don't need my ideas. You don't need my thoughts. You don't need my opinions. You need the word of God. Verse 32, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. What's that mean? Go back and remember when the light came on. Illuminated. You saw Jesus for who he was, who he is. He said, you got to go back and remember those days. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. He's talking about the persecution of the church. He said in verse 34, You had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. That word confidence is the same word translated faith. Don't throw away your faith, which has great reward. For you have need, one translation says patience, another says endurance. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, if anyone's trying to go back, So he's talking to us about the difference between living by faith and going back. The just live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In about five or six verses, you're going to hear him say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the picture he's painting here is that faith is moving in this direction, but something else is moving in the opposite direction. Faith moves forward. It's called the walk of faith, right? We walk by faith and not by... Oh, come on. Now we're getting somewhere. This is where we need to get to tonight. We walk by faith. We move forward by faith. We don't move backwards in sight. Faith moves forward. You draw back. Now we begin to answer the question, why would anybody go back? If it was prison, if you were broken there, if there was death there, why would anybody go back? It's because living by sight and living by sight only is in itself a prison. It's so limiting. If you can only make decisions based on what you see, based on what you feel, based on what you think and reason, based on prior experience, if that's all the information you have, listen to me, you are severely limited. It's like having walls or bars in front of you. You will only go so far. But faith. Faith will take you places you've never been. 
faith will take you places your parents, your family, the generations before you've never been. Your faith in God will take you places nobody's been. But living by sight, there's such a temptation to draw back to it. To draw back to it. And that's what he's having to write to these people. Don't go back to living by sight. It's a prison. Don't go back to that. I know you're enduring. I know there's something you're going through. I know there's pressure. You hear that word? You want to know why people go back to prison? Pressure. Of every kind. Why do people who've been set free from the prison of sin go back to the prison of sin? Pressure. Pressure on the flesh. Pressure. Why do people who've been set free from anything go back to what they were bound by? Pressure. Because living by faith requires something of you. Living by faith requires you to get out, get out into a place where you can't see naturally, where you don't understand naturally, but your heart grabs a hold of it and your confidence in God liberates you from the prison of living by sight. Why would anybody go back? Here's a big reason. You ready for this? Because it's one thing to be, to be free outwardly. It's something else to be free on the inside. Egypt had so gotten in those people that even though God had brought them out physically, Egypt was so in them still that all they could say, it's what they said every time something got bad, every time something got hard, what was their immediate knee-jerk response? Let's go back. Let's go back. Because you can be free all day long on the outside. But if you're not free on the inside, you are in prison. That's why I said to you before, we enjoy marvelous freedoms as Americans. But these freedoms are nothing compared to the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have freedom in Christ Jesus, you can have all the free speech you want. You can have all the freedom to assemble. You can have all your free press. You can have all your freedom to worship. But if you don't have freedom in Christ, you are in prison. But what's the word of the Lord to you tonight? Anybody remember? I'm busting you out of this place. I'm busting you out tonight. Why would anybody go back? One big reason. I've given you several, but here's a big one. They're deceived. Why would anybody go back into something God so gloriously and demonstratively liberated them from deception believe in lies what did Jesus say he said to the Jews that believed on him you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free so if it takes truth to have freedom then you know that lies and deception will keep you bound up. Yes. Believe in something God that's not God. Believe in lies about Him. But it's not just believing lies that keep you bound. It's a, it's a willingness to tell a lie. It's a willingness to conceal the truth. Mm -hmm. 
It's a willingness to hide the truth. That'll keep you locked up forever and ever. You and I have, have got to become lovers of the truth. Amen. Lovers of the truth. Live with an unwillingness to tell a lie. An unwillingness to deceive. An unwillingness to, to hide or conceal the truth. Why? Because there's freedom in the truth. There's freedom in it. Why would anybody go back to prison? Because they may be free on the outside, but not on the inside. Why would somebody go back to bondage? Because of pressure on the flesh. Because of the pressure that it takes. The pressure that they don't like to walk by faith. They, wanna, they, they just, they just want to say, I don't want to have to use my faith anymore. I just want it to be simple. That's pressure. Why would anybody go back to prison? Believe in lies. Telling lies. But we are free people. Amen. We are free people. Somebody say, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Stand up on your feet with me tonight. Got just a moment here. We're going to take just a minute. Receive some of this freedom from the Lord. Man, God is talking to us. What if we spent this whole year as free people. What if we lived every day increasing in our freedom and getting more and more and more free as every day goes by? What if you spent an entire year free from fear? What would your life look like? What if you spent an entire year, all of 2020, free of condemnation? You didn't have a day of it. Not a day of guilt. Not a day of shame. You just spent your whole year free of that. What if you spent this year free from sin? Oh, well, that's not possible. You, everybody sins every day. Speak for yourself. Come on, Come on man. We are free people. Amen. We are free people. Amen. That's like sitting in prison with the door open. Jesus going, you're free, you're free, you're free, you're free. And you're sitting there going, man, I just wish I was free. Somebody say it again. I'm free. I'm free. Say this. We are free people. We are free people. And free people? And free people. Free people. That's what this is about. You have a message of freedom. God's given you a message and people have got to see it in your life. They've got to see you living free. They've got to see you enjoying freedom, free from obligation, free from strife. How about this one? What if you spent this whole year free from worry? What if you did not spend a single day this year worried about anything? Would you look different? You know that New Year's resolution you made about losing weight? This is how you do it. Because that's what worry is. It's weight on you. And you and I can live free from the weight of worry. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And we are so thankful that you are faithful to speak to us. I pray over the congregation tonight of Legacy Church. And in Jesus' name, I proclaim their freedom. The same Spirit of the Lord that was on Jesus and anointed Him to proclaim freedom is upon us to proclaim freedom. We are free people. And by your grace, by your help, we will stand in that freedom. Won't you say this out loud tonight? Say, I'm not going back. 
Jesus has freed me. I am completely free. I am totally free. I am truly free. And by His grace, by His help, by the leadership of His Spirit, I will stay free. I'm not going back. I'm not getting entangled again with sin. I'm not going back because I'm free. Because I'm free. I am free. I am free. I am free. Say it again. I am free. I am free. I am free. Thank God Almighty. I am free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm looking at a room full of escaping inmates tonight. Free people in Jesus' name.